Hello and welcome to the Iris Murdoch podcast. My guest today is uh, Paul Haller, who's Associate Professor of British Literature at Meiji Gakuin University in Japan. Paul's also the President of the J Japan Iris Murdoch Society and he's been in Japan 29 years. I'm delighted that obviously all things, um, all things being equal, he's going to be our first keynote next year at the Murdoch Conference at Chichester. He's published widely on Murdoch. He's got some work coming out uh, next year with uh, Palgrave Macmillan. He's also had in the past uh, two volumes um, out, um, one occasional essays and one poems by Iris Murdoch, uh, both limited editions, um, but I think you can just about still find them online. He's also an expert in the uh, poetry and uh, life and work of Christina Rossetti. Uh, his latest work on her came out in 2016, We Found Her Hidden, the remarkable poetry of Christina Rossetti. And he's also um, a uh, widely published and very well-respected poet and his latest collection, Climbable, um, came out in 2016 as well. Uh, Paul, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's, um, it's great to have you here. I know we're going to be talking, you know, expansively about your life and work and, and about Iris, but could you start off with uh, telling us a little bit about your early life and about um, what literature meant to you growing up? Well, thank you, Miles. It's very, very kind of you. And it's a real delight to be here with everyone who's listening. Um, my early life, well, I was born in uh, Yorkshire, in the in Ripon, just outside Ripon. We lived when I was uh, when I was in my first few years. Um, my parents were farmers. My father later had a little flower shop. He was a um, landscape gardener. My mother was an auxiliary nurse. So I wasn't really from what you might call academic stock, but mm. my my mother was a wonderful woman who was all about um, a kind of, I suppose, a, an old idea of betterment through literature. I mean, she just used to buy me so many books, all the classics. In, you know, the Woolworths, uh, the checkout till always had these very horrible, the horrible kind of paper, uh, Robinson Crusoe, Treasure Island, um, classics and she yeah, yeah. got me all those so by the time I went to school um my my reading the level of reading was was just way way above everyone else and um it kind of went from there this this love for for literature I was an only child as well and um, we lived on a farm in the middle of nowhere and so I spent many many very pleasant hours with the imaginary friends uh, rather than you know, real friends. And uh, I think that explains a lot about me, but um, most of it good. Yeah, so um, I, I went to a, a village school, a little village school. Uh, at the age of eight, nine, perhaps eight, we moved into Ripon, which is uh, the, apparently the smallest city in England. I think it might uh, well be. Yeah. It's a cathedral city. It's a beautiful city. But to me was the, the bright lights, of course, at eight, eight years old. <laughs> bright and, lights are uh, Yeah, yeah. Well, the bright lights are ripping and I never looked back. And I ended up at, I was very lucky. This was the last uh, gasp of the 11 plus, I do believe, when I, when I was uh, coming up to 11. And uh, they'd built a new school across the road from where, where we lived. And I ended up there for, for my last uh, year before the 11 plus. And only two of us were selected to take the 11 plus, And I, I was the only one that passed. And I've all, I've, even now I feel guilty about that because the girl who took it with me 
was much, much brighter than I was. But she never got through, and I did. And because of that, I went to Ripon Grammar School, mm. which is one of the best. Uh, in, of course, I'm going to say this, but uh, you know, it, it's a wonderful school. And I, I encountered some absolutely brilliant teachers there, who um, one uh, one of whom, two of whom, in fact, I'm still in touch with. Uh, in particular, my English teachers who inspired me and encouraged me um to pursue an interest in literature i unfortunately when i was in in my teenage years when i was at the grammar school uh, both of my parents died and of course that was very traumatic mm. and i kind of threw myself i threw myself into literature and um it became my best friend and still is and at, at that time were you um writing poetry then short stories or were you but was that I that was. Earlier? I was. Uh, <laughs> one of these predictable um, narratives, perhaps, but I was kind of bullied a little bit at school uh, because we'd we'd come from the the the, the real countryside. You know, I was kind mm. of country bumpkin, and um, I was kind of picked on a bit. But the I was certainly not um, physically capable of uh, fighting back but verbally I always found that I was able to uh, use uh, some kind of wit uh, as a means to basically make the people who were trying to bully me look uh, not so clever and um, uh, I I started writing stuff and uh, yeah I had stuff bit like iris really I, I suppose i had stuff published in school magazines and um i i was always i was always very much enamored with uh, the lyrics of the pop music i was listening to at that time too as much as written poetry mm. and um yeah that became something so when it came time to choose university um <laughs> first regret i was we were, we were real i was very much encouraged to sit oxbridge but of course you know this kind of country bumpkin from uh, ripon i just assumed that was beyond me mm. and so off i went to edinburgh university to study literature where again i met wonderful wonderful teachers and um also got involved in um a very uh, creative circle of people, poetry and also music. Yes, I think some of those people are now pretty well known, aren't they? Oh, well, um, yeah, we had a fellow that used to sometimes kip on our sofa whose name was Irvin Welsh. Um, I think he did quite well. Mm, uh, Ian, so. Ian Rankin, um, is a very good friend of mine, I, I do know Irvin, but uh, Ian Rankin is uh, a really very good friend of mine. He was a year above me at Edinburgh University. And um, of course, he's now a, yeah, a very successful crime novelist and, and, and still a very nice guy. And yeah, lots of others. I mean, I got involved in, in music, uh, playing music and also writing about music actually i stayed at edinburgh to do a phd and um not being uh very clever with money 
I ended up having to take about 18 months away from actual study. And uh, I got a job and the job I got was editing a, a music magazine, a national, national Scottish music magazine. And so I made lots of friends in the music business too. And also had a couple of, a couple of very unsuccessful bands of my own. And that was in the 90s? That was in the 80s. In the 80s. Right. I'm older so... than you think. <laughs> I'm older than you think, Miles. So uh, yeah. who, was, who, who, you, uh, who are you writing about then? Who are you uh, knocking about with? Oh, 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 oh dear. Um, uh, I suppose the, the 80s was a very good time for, for Scottish music, and I was really well-placed in Edinburgh, uh, Glasgow, of course, as well. You know, they had the kind of postcard movement, um, the the 80s in Edinburgh, the fast records, uh, the the fire engines, Jesus and Mary Chain, Simple mm. Minds, uh, the Cocteau Twins, um, lots and lots of, of really um, incredible, love and money, friends again, who've now become the bathers. I mean, you know, I could go on all night, but uh, I had many, many, and goodbye, Mr. McKenzie, who um, were one of the most underrated acts. One of my best friends, Martin, was the singer. Shirley Manson was with them, and she went on to be the singer in Garbage, of course. Yeah. You know, she's very, she's very well known. Yeah, and Edinburgh, the, 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 the music scene, also the literary scene there, was, it was like a little village, and we just all knew each other. Sure. We just all hung around together. But uh, academic so, life came calling again, and you went back to it. Well, I I kind of um, yeah, I dillied and dallied so long with my uh, PhD, having to take this time out to earn a, an honest crust to to you know put money back into being able to pay my rent. That by the time I actually uh, got my PhD was nineteen ninety two, mm -hmm. and yeah, so. By then I was I was 28, I was 28, and I was I was doing very well with, with the music writing, music journalism. Uh, I did a I did a little radio show once a week, and um, you know, I was kind of getting flown around to interview, do features on U2 and things like that. But I <laughs> I kind of realized it was a young man's game. And also the more I knew, the more I found out about the music business, the more I realized there was very, there wasn't really a big connection between talent and success, let me say, to put it kindly. Okay. So um, another thing I, I also realized was the more I worked on my PhD and I had a uh, part-time tutorials at the university I was teaching uh, Shakespeare tutorials the more I realized that actually it was written poetry it was the written word in which I was more interested yeah so I yeah so I made a, a very conscious decision to um, you know knock the knock the music journalism on the head and look for uh, an academic position mm. unfortunately unfortunately at that time you know um margaret thatcher uh who was a great woman in so many ways 
was making it very difficult for um, a person such as myself to find uh, full-time employment in in uh, in the academic world. And uh, fast forward a few months, and uh, I started applying for jobs overseas. Mm-hmm. I was very lucky. The um, my PhD supervisor, uh, Professor Paul Edwards, who was a Romanticism and uh, African literature specialist, he had a contact in a place called Okayama, Japan. Yeah. And this contact was a fellow called Christopher Haywood, uh, who was a painter and Bronte scholar. And it turned out they were looking for somebody for a two-year contract in Japan in this place called Okayama. Now, this is before the internet. So I was, you know, Okayama, was it Yokohama? And I remember going to the, the university library and getting one of these huge atlases and looking at, where's Okayama? Where's Okayama? Mm-hmm. And there was an old, um, and I found it, and it's okay 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 it looks very nice and remember before the internet they had the Fodor's guide oh yeah to japan and i looked up i looked uh, in the index okayama and there was one number next to it and i looked on the page for okayama and it said uh, it said anyone who's on a tight itinerary would be best advised to skip okayama <laughs> and i thought oh, okay that's the yeah. that's the place for me Right. Okay. If I can make it there, I can make it anywhere. And uh, off I went. And uh, it turned out that Christopher Hayward, um, the reason that he had been, um, what one of the, I mean, he was a brilliant writer and a great man as well. One of the reasons he'd been um, invited to Okayama was that the, chap there who was um inviting pe- people academics from overseas was a fellow called yozo moroya professor yozo moroya who uh-huh. was japan's iris murdoch specialist and there we are here we are we've come we've finally come to the the point uh, yeah and um i got this two-year contract in okayama and off i went so yeah you obviously mentioned Yozo's um, so so important to your academic career development and of course became a, such a good friend of yours but where does where does yeah. Iris fit in did you um, read any Iris at Edinburgh or was she just <laughs> a, a name amongst many yeah a name amongst many um, I focused in uh, Edinburgh on Victorian poetry mm. I mean you know the when I when I after the first four years there, the Scottish MA, um, I was deciding, you know, what to what to do. I, I knew I wanted to continue and uh, and do a PhD. And uh, I was actually uh, Ken Ken Fielding, Kenneth Fielding, who's a Dickens scholar there, who's very very kind to me. And um, I think he, he was friends with Stephen Gill, who was at Oxford. And there was this plan for me to do a PhD at Oxford. Uh, but it was on the on the condition that I studied Dickens. Right. And I, I was really, really determined to do something about Christina Rossetti. Mm. 
uh, I'd been introduced to Christina Rossetti actually just just after my mother died. One of my the teachers I spoke about at Ripon Grammar School um, gave me a book of selected poems, Christina Rossetti, and said, "I think you might like these." And that was I was that I was fourteen, and uh, since that day. I remember it in the school library. It was raining outside. Rugby was cancelled. And I sat there and read, read these poems. And I thought, OK, this, this is it. So I was determined. And, and there I was. So I ended up um, doing a, a PhD uh, at Edinburgh. Sorry, what was the question? I've forgotten what your question was. <laughs> We're talking about Iris. <laughs> <laughs> when did you first come into contact with Iris? Oh, that's the point. That's the one. That's the point. Well... Having, you know, having, well, okay, in Edinburgh, Iris really was um, one novel. I think The Bell was on the reading list for one of the outside. I was, as I said, I was focusing on Victorian poetry. Mm. And in the last year of my Scottish MA, um, The Bell was one of the optional texts. And I, I didn't read it. <laughs> so that was it. I mean, that was that was Iris and me. Yeah. Um, I did. I, I looked. I looked at the bell, and I spoke to some other people, um, and I went to a lecture in which, for maybe twenty minutes, Iris was mentioned. Oh, there were a couple of other things, of course. Wallace Robson was uh, one of my teachers at Edinburgh, and I know that he and Iris. Um, were um, were a thing for a while, and mm. I do remember I'd been to a secondhand bookshop and I'd found uh, a book of Wallace Robson's poetry, um, which I thought was really good, and so I took it to his um, his office. I didn't; I, he wasn't my tutor or anything. I'd had a couple of lectures. He lectured on Oscar Wilde, very very good lecture, and. Um, it was, he was heading to retirement. I, mean, I think it was just about a year before he retired. He ended up being the uh, external examiner on my PhD. Um, I took this book to his office and um, I said, would you, would you sign, it, sign it for me? And he was like, oh, and he looked bewildered. Like, where did you find that? For goodness mm. sake. And, I, uh, and um, I sat down and talked to him. And I do remember him talking about Iris. And the only thing I remember him really saying was, ah, uh, oh, Iris, and this kind of faraway look in his eyes. And I never, I, I never knew until decades later that, that he and Iris had actually um, spent a lot of time together. Yeah. Um, so, so no, no, I didn't know really anything about Iris until I... So, until you get to Japan. I, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what's the, what's the connection with... Um... Yozo and, and, and Iris then, and, and how did you get involved? When I arrived in Japan, which was in March 1992, I think um, there were a couple of her novels available in translation, and the reason for that was this fellow Yozo Moroya, who had actually, um, he'd spent a year um, in London it, mm -hmm. during his undergraduate he's gone to the university of tokyo and he'd actually uh, made iris murdoch the subject of his uh, that in in japan they call a sotsuron it's a graduation thesis 
And uh, he'd, uh, I don't know how he'd done it, but he, he'd found out where Iris lived. I mean, this must have been probably, no, must have been the 60s, early 60s. Because he his his education was interrupted by the war. He was a lot older than he should have been at, at this point, and um, yeah, he, he found out where Iris lived and just turned up and knocked on her door. Wow! And of course, yeah, yeah, and of course, she'd <laughs> this Japanese gentleman at the door who probably at that time was not very. Um, confident in spoken English but uh, she'd invited him in for tea and they basically just became really good friends and from that point onward he was just became a champion of uh, of Murdoch's work in Japan mm. so by the time I got to Japan probably 30 years later uh, he'd written he wrote he wrote the first critical monograph uh about Iris Murdoch uh that was published in Japanese yeah. and he was known he was known he was known all over Japan as as the Iris Murdoch uh man so yeah so that, course, that's how I and of course he sets up the uh, the Murdoch Society in Japan which uh, still continues under under your direction well that was well that was later I mean what happened first was that uh, I'd been in Japan five minutes and he uh, shook his hand at the old uh, Osaka airport. And I, I literally, one of the first things he said was, um, you, are you familiar with Iris Murdoch's work? And I was like, well, we're right. Um, I said, mm, mm, mm. Uh, of course, this is my, he was my boss. So sure. this is my new boss. So I was kind of, are you, are you familiar with the work of um, Iris Murdoch? And I said, uh, yes, yes, fairly, yes. <laughs> lying through, mm, lying yeah. through my teeth, Dave, yeah. lying through my teeth, thinking, what was that novel called? Was it the 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 bury the the bur? The, okay, and um, and yeah, I said, well, actually, not very much. And uh, I'd been there less than twenty four hours. He took me from Osaka back to Okayama, which is, you know, it's like going from Oxford to London. And uh, or in reverse, rather, it's like going from London to Oxford. Okay, I'm a smaller place. And um, within 24 hours, he'd given me a reading list and said, uh, you know, unbeknown to you, the reason you're here is to help me um, understand the works of Iris Murdoch even more than I do. And I do considerably at this point understand them. So, so yeah, off we went. And uh, that was 1992, and in 1993, next the very next year, by which time he'd had me read about ten of her novels already, and we were, we were actually we we were we started to translate. Um, what, I think it was the Good Apprentice. Uh, one of one of the one of his schemes was we were going to translate, or he was going to translate, and I was going to explain to him. Um, we kind of plowed away at that for a couple of months, and then it uh, transpired that he had been encouraging Iris to come to Japan. Right. And uh, John Bailey and Iris uh, indeed did come to Japan on a British Council tour. And they, I know that they, uh, Iris 
accompanied by John, spoke in Kyoto, which is just an hour up the train tracks from Okayama. But they spent uh, uh, two days in Okayama, which is kind of, you know, it's like nowhere. It's like visiting the UK and staying two days in Ripon or something, you know. It was uh, purely because of this, uh, the Yozo connection. I do, I really think Iris uh, regarded Yozo as... Uh, you know a real a real friend mm. and um yeah and so that's when I, I met them and what was the first meeting like yeah well <laughs> you know this thing about they say don't meet your heroes yeah because they'll dis- they'll disappoint you well i was really lucky because at that point they weren't heroes of mine i didn't know enough I, for me it was just oh yeah okay mm. and i really to my to my, to my shame i suppose I really didn't realize, um, even though even though at that point I'd I'd read uh, a few of her novels, I really didn't realize. Put it put it kind of what a big deal uh, Iris Murdoch was, and um, they t- they turned up in Okayama, and you know Yozo Maroya, he s- said to me basically, okay. Uh, you're going to look after them for for two days. That's your job. You're going to take them to Kyoto, mm. and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and um, I just thought they were brilliant. I mean, I just thought they were wonderful. Um, I, I I've said this to people at the, the 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 conferences we've both of us have been at. You know, I just whenever I meet somebody, I always say, did did you meet Iris? And when people say no, I, I always feel sorry for them. I just mm. think, ah, oh, you know, if you'd met her. And John as well. I mean, to be honest, John Bailey uh, was very, very kind to me. It was absolutely. And the, the amazing thing was, of course, so Yoza says to me, okay, next Tuesday, you're going to meet Iris Murdoch and her husband, who's also a bit of a, uh, an academic I'm like, oh okay so this is 1993 so there's no internet or anything like mm. that so I'm kind of swatting in the library beforehand thinking okay well, what, what am I going to talk to them about what am I going to say and um, I read some of, uh, I'd already know I'd read some of John Bailey's uh, criticism and uh, I knew he was a, a brilliant critic but Iris I was like well, what am I going to say <laughs> and um when they turned up, I tried a couple of questions about Iris's writing. You know, oh, I read this, this character, and she was comp- not interested at all in talking about her own work. Yeah, I think I think I, I think about twenty seconds into meeting her, she said to me, "Do you write?" And I said, "Uh, well, <laughs> you know." Yeah. Here and here and there a little bit, and she said, "What do you write?" And you know, John Bailey would have piped up, you know, and yes, yes what do you, would you? And uh, I said, "Oh, I write, I write poetry." Oh, you must send us some. You must show us it. And we spent a whole day. Uh, there's a very famous um, garden in Okayama. Okayama is quite well known. It, it, it's quite famous. It has one of Japan's three most beautiful uh, gardens mm. and uh, we took them it's called Korakoen and we we took them there 
and we spent a whole day there after that we had a kind of semi no, not not really formal but a, a reception for them at the university and i think it was for you know meanwhile back at your question i think i think it was from there that the the idea of this kind of iris murdoch firstly it was a reading circle mm. it wasn't a society um it just so happened that um Yozo Moroya at that time was really exclusively accepting uh, students to study Iris Murdoch. Yeah. Uh, so he just decided, okay, I'll have this once weekly reading circle. And of course, I was, uh, well, I, was I wouldn't say press ganged, I was invited into it as the, as the kind of go to guy for uh, cultural topical references. And um, and having having met them, um, they came to this semi-informal reception, John and Iris, and they were incredibly charming and just very, very just lovable in so many ways. And um, that that's how the Iris Murdoch Reading Circle, which became the Iris Murdoch Society, began. And uh, after that, we, we took them to Kyoto, which was an actual a British council formal uh, affair um, but we went for I went for dinner with uh, with uh, uh, there was also a poet Mark Ford who's a very very good poet um, also that I think London Review of Books he he's on the staff there at the moment and he was there too so yeah that was the first time we met them in Japan and as you say their interest in your work you send them some poetry and um, it, it isn't just a uh... A, a, a kind move they they really do appreciate your work recommending you to, to to publishers and and ultimately writing the blurb for your first book yeah it was yeah i, I sent <laughs> yeah they, they they said oh you know send us some uh send us some of your work and of course um this I, this is before email. Obviously, they wouldn't use email anyway. But you know, I kind of went back in the blind panic and desperately tried to uh, brush up some of the uh, little poems I'd written in to make them presentable. And um, I sent uh, um, half a dozen, I think, to to them. And just thinking that was that'd be it. You know, mm. I'd never, never, they'd never darken my doorstep again. Uh, I was outed as a, as the you know the talentless uh, dilettante, but um, next thing I knew, letter from John almost by you know return. Uh, Iris and I love the poems. We've recommended you to William Cookson at Agenda. You'll be hearing from him shortly. The next thing I get a letter from William Cookson saying, "Is would we would like to accept? I think one or was it? I think it was two of your poems for the next issue of Agenda. <sighs> and off I went. And then the next thing was, I was offered um, uh, a very small, uh, a very good Scottish press, Dionysia Press, uh, offered me uh, the chance to make a book. And I just very cheekily uh, mentioned this to John mm. in a letter. Um, my correspondence was was I, th I think almost exclusively with John rather than Iris and, and said um, 
you know, very awfully, awfully cheeky of me, but would you mind, would you say something for the, for the back cover? And uh, I got this, got back uh, something from him and something from Iris, which is... Ideal. Uh, yeah. <laughs> to this, yeah, and to this day, still uh, the best thing about my book, uh, many people might say, but yeah, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's just incredible how, how um, generous and, yeah, the, the kindness. Of course, yeah, which they're very much known for. So yeah. obviously they've read your stuff, but how did the... Um... That, the book of poems of, um, of Iris has come about because, of course, you did that in um, in tandem with Yozo, and I think obviously listeners will be really keen to to know more about that and also about the occasional essays that you put together. Not really sure if if Yozo had even really thought about her poetry. Um, Yozo was uh, a prose man. He was uh, he was interested in in in. Uh, 20th century Japanese novels as well as as well as Iris and a lot of his work was finding connections uh, kind of Zen stuff uh, between the two and um, so I don't think he was really uh, interested shall we say in in her poetry till I turned up and uh, I was the you know I was the poetry guy and mm. so all of a sudden all of a sudden he pulled out some old letters or I can't remember what it was and he said oh I know Iris writes poetry I wonder if I wonder if there'd be any chance of uh you know um getting getting some of it would you would you and I said well yeah, of course of course and so we went we'd gone I think 1990 it was the same year 93 uh, they came to they came to Okayama, I think, in the spring. And in the summer, we went to Oxford, Yozo and I, and we met uh, John and Iris again um, under, th through the auspices of Christopher Hayward, who had a house in Oxford very close to uh, the, the Bailey's house and had them round for, for drinks and dinner, whatever, quite often. Uh, they were good friends. And um, we met them a few times, and it's... It had been mentioned in Okayama. I think the subject had, you know, Iris had said, "Oh, I write poems." I think she says, um, a, she said in an interview in the Guardian in 1980, she said, "I don't think I'm really a poet, but I can occasionally write a poem." And she said much the same thing when we were talking to her in Okayama about it. But it turned out she said, "Oh well, no, actually, I have." Um, over the years, had kind of a couple of dozen poems published in various places. And um, so Yozo got this idea of, okay, let's, why don't we make a little book? Hmm. Um, and it, I think it, it, in many ways for him, it, it really was, it was almost like a, he was giving, it was a, a gift to Iris. Uh, he wanted to, he had this idea that he'd make this very special limited edition um, kind of coffee table book. And I was, uh, okay, yeah, I'll do it. And he said, maybe you could write some kind of critical introduction. And I said, yeah, yeah, of course, of course, I'd love to. And I'd never, at this point, I'd never seen any of her poetry. And so... It dribs and drabs, basically. She started sending us poems 
And um, the first few she sent us were from the Badminton School magazine. I mean, these were very, very, you know, very juvenile efforts. Mm. And I was like, I was like, yeah, they're okay, you know, just really okay. But then we started getting um, more and more. And I remember at one point saying to Yozo, hey, hey, wait a minute, these, these are really good. Um, we could actually, you know, I'm really, and the more, the more I saw, the more I was convinced that this, you know, she's not just a occasional uh, writer of poetry. She's actually a very competent and in fact, um, some of the some of the things she is saying in her uh, in her prose writing, uh, novels, or or even in her uh, philosophy writing, is articulated quite clearly, and and very succinctly in a lot of these poems. So I became really, really, really keen on this project, and yeah, finally she she. She said, okay, yeah, we'll do it. So, yeah, we, we did a book of, uh, it was the first author, I mean, she was right, she helped us right from the start to the end. Uh, in the end, it, it published in 1997. Yeah. I, I heard you say earlier that there are a few copies online. I would, I would warn people, don't, don't go looking online because you, you get, you know, copies for like $500 or something. They are quite dear, yeah. I mean, do you, yeah, do you think we'll yeah. ever get another a reprint? I don't think it's necessary for a reprint, but what I'm trying to do is to contact the publisher. I am sure that there are copies somewhere in a warehouse. Okay. Um, I'm, I think it was, we did five, 500? 500 of, of the poems and 500 of the occasional essays book as well, yeah. Yeah, and I, I'm sure that there are, there are, there are still uh, residual stock, and I will try my best to make sure that that is made available at a reasonable price uh, in in the very near future. That'd be great because uh, I know there's people yeah. listening that would very much like a copy. Um, thankfully, yeah. I have one, but uh, some people. Well, yeah. So if, if if anybody's listening, please, uh, you know, the uh, the Facebook page, the Iris Murdoch Appreciation page. I will I'll be putting something on there. I hope fairly soon. Excellent. And maybe we can have a, a few copies at the uh, the conference next year as well. That'd be great. Um, and yeah. so, was the occasional essays book done at the same time as the poems? Well, that was, a, yeah, that, we, we did the poems and, um, I, and the, the essay I've, I've written for, for the um, uh, Iris Murdoch's literary imagination, which I hope will be coming uh, a couple of years, maybe, Paul Graham? No, out, out next year. Oh, next year. There no, you next are. Next year, yeah. Okay, end of, end of, end of twenty-two. Well, I, I don't want to steal my own fire then, because I do go into detail in that essay about this. Although you'll probably edit it out, so I might as well. <laughs> Never I, might, I might as well. Your your Francis will probably edit it out. Uh, so I might as well blab. But yeah, I got the, the midway through the poems. I I did get the feeling through through our work with Iris. I did get the feeling that. And this it troubles this troubles me. Um, I got the feeling that she was how she was getting cold feet. Mm. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot at stake uh, for for a writer of such reputation and renown to suddenly have these poems, some of which were you know uh, written by a schoolgirl, uh, to have these available. And yeah, the 
the proviso was that we we would publish it in Japan. Uh, she was very clear about that. And I got the, I mean, we met her a few times after that, subsequently in, in Oxford. She never came to Japan again, but we met in Oxford and talked. I got the feeling she, you know, she was kind of going along with it. Um, but anyway, it came out. And um, unfortunately, by the time it, so it was published in 97 and we, I remember we went to, it must have been the summer of 97. Mm. We went to, we went to Oxford and we kind of, Yozo was very excited. We're going to present her with this, um, this book that we finally managed to, and it was a, a beautiful book. Anybody who's seen it will know it's a beautiful hardback uh, with a watercolour painting on the front, which was done by Christopher Hayward. And it really is lovely. It's a lovely book. Um, and we we made this kind of pilgrimage to Oxford, uh, Yozo and I, to uh, meet with John and Iris to hand her a copy, uh, or more than one copy, of, of the book. And that was the first time that... I'd been in her presence where I realized she she wasn't well, mm. shall we say. And um I was just looking before before you before we spoke tonight. Um I have I have a few books uh, that Iris signed to me that, that wrote you know, to Paul Huller, blah blah blah. And um I found the copy that we one of the copies that we took that uh, in the summer of ninety-seven. And uh, she signed it, and it's just very clear from the the handwriting that you know she she was uh, at that point uh, struggling, and um, yeah, so that was uh, ninety. I think that was probably the last time I saw her, and uh, it really was um, kind of upsetting. She she was very happy to have this book and I remember you know John was was very very uh kind of enthusiastic about it and she was still able to you know um express uh her gratitude because we had done a lot of work in it uh towards doing this book but I do remember I just remember sitting at the table when she was she was signing the book and um she she was trying to write my name or or something and she turned to john and said oh, so, so, how do you spell wishes or something like this mm. and i just remember she she grabbed my hand and she grabbed my hand and said uh, oh dear i'm i'm sailing away aren't i and i said no 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 you're still here but she yeah it was just this real shock and i remember yozo and i uh, walked away that day back to the the train station at Oxford and we were, we were both very uh, uh, very quiet shall we say anyway and yeah the occasional yeah. essays that was just another idea that Yozo had and we just thought it'd be nice um, to do a kind of companion volume and that's what we did it's very similar it's a hardback another limited edition yeah uh, yeah 
Yeah, I suppose walking back to the train station, you realised that probably was the last time that you would see her as well. Well, yeah, and it, so it really did become for for Yozo. I'm really glad we did that because yeah, you know, Yozo Yozo passed away quite recently, and um, um, I'm feeling incredibly privileged uh, to have done these things, and you know. Um, to have met, and this is what I've said to you many times. I mean, you know, I, I've uh, people often say to me because I'm the president of the Iris Murdoch Society of Japan. You know, well, do, oh, do, do you teach Iris Murdoch? Actually, I don't. I teach I teach British poetry, but I do because so many times in in my classes I, I talk about her ideas these ideas of unselfing and attention mm. and uh, one making i mean these and they, these are ideas which in japan really make sense to especially to young people believe it or not you know the yeah. young people in yeah i've no i'm frightened to ask what it's like in the uk but uh, in in britain yeah of course um, uh, in in Japan, the, the young people here are really kind of guiding the way and lighting the way for uh, a stronger future. They really are, and they're you know the, the things that Iris uh, wrote about uh, really have a resonance here. Mm. Yeah, and I think they do in the UK. I think in general, I think that's the the way that we 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 are in the UK as well. I would, I'd like to hope so, anyway. Um, yeah. And so, yeah. so, you know, for the last 20, 25 years then, I, I suppose Murdoch's had a, a really important influence on your life. Of course, you wrote a poem for her, didn't you, and said it's a music as well. <laughs> yes, I, I wrote that poem. That was in, I think that was in, that was in my second book, because my first book of poetry was published, I think, 97, yeah. So the yeah the 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 poem that I wrote for Iris was began that day that that uh, we met her the last time I saw her and it's it's about uh, yeah it's about losing it's about losing things and um, how much it matters and um, yeah um, that was uh, that was actually published in my second book of poems which appeared I think in. So it's after just after Iris died, ninety nine or two thousand, mm. and um, yeah, um, I recently I was very. I mean, the wonderful uh, centenary conference uh, that we 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 enjoyed uh, a couple of years ago before the world uh, fell apart uh, in in Oxford uh, as part of the. The evening of song and uh, and uh, entertainment organised by the wonderful Gillian Dooley. Um, I read, well, I didn't read, I recited, I think, that poem. And yeah. uh, and um, I think it was Gillian actually sort of said to me, did you not set it to music? Did you not do, do something with it? So um, I did, yeah. And uh, yeah, it'd be, I uh, hope people like that it's i think there's up on youtube yeah well yeah, we're, we're, because... gonna, we're, gonna, we're gonna link to it um for the podcast we'll oh. make sure that everybody can hear it so uh, that'll be oh. yeah yeah well i think it'll give people a real flavor of your kind of your, your connection 
to her because it you know she she changed you didn't she she changed your thinking your teaching very and your much. writing as well very much um there are so many <laughs> so many times in my in my in my my daily life where i just find myself i talk to my wife a lot and uh surprisingly <laughs> i talk to my wife a lot and uh i'm always saying you know oh this is what iris says this iris says it's it's like she's such a presence mm. and uh once again you know without without getting in anyway maudlin i just feel incredibly blessed to have spent some time i mean the, the, if you if you made a recording of all the conversations I had with her and put it on an on a, on a record, altogether you'd probably have less than about seven minutes, maybe maybe 10, 15 minutes. But you know, there's such she was so incredibly smart. Um, but also, I don't know what you'd say. Um present there um and she didn't suffer fools lightly either i just remember one time saying to her something about uh, uh you know trying to be trying to be mr smarty pants and saying something about a poem she'd written or something and i said oh yeah it was very very symbolic or something she's of course it's symbolic <laughs> this is kind of cutting this is oh yeah right okay i get it yeah it was, i remember it was in the garden at, at, at charbury road and she said of course it's symbolic just this withering look uh, <laughs> okay all right that's me yeah. Judge. yeah i i really wish i i could have um yeah of course we all do if you could turn the clocks back i would have spent much more time studying uh her work and i would ideally have spent much more time um with her and uh sure. but now we've got so many more poems haven't we all the uh the, the work the uh the works are being tra um transcribed at the archive in kingston they, and having read some yeah. of those now you must you know it must be a revelation well the whole thing's been a revelation i mean i always felt like an outsider uh whenever i you know even the Iris Murdoch Society of Japan. I was, I was always the kind of, always the poetry guy. And uh, as far as we all knew, <laughs> we'd, uh, you know, we'd, 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 we'd drained the well dry. The poems that we'd published, basically, we thought that was about it. She did send us a couple during that process, um, which... Uh, there's there's one about the macaw, the parrot in the shop. That's yeah. quite, that, I think that's been published by now. She sent us that one, and I don't think that had appeared anywhere else at that point. And a couple more, which then at the, I was going to say at the last minute, but of course it was weeks later because we were all done by letter. She sort of said, "Oh no, 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 I, I want to withdraw that one." She she got cold feet about a few of them. So we knew there were more poems in existence. We knew she'd written more, but at that point. I always felt you know, the great pretender at uh, attending Murdoch conferences and, oh, yes, I'm the guy that edited this book with about 27 poems in it. And that's it. You know, hello, what, what's your, oh, yeah, I've written about uh, a lot more than you have. Mm. But then, you know, first of all, and something I do sincerely uh, believe is that, you know, getting involved in, in, Iris, in the Iris Murdoch 
society with with you with with you and Francis and Anne Rowe in particular. Yozo and I actually met Anne Rowe uh, in the UK on one of his visits, and uh, I've met so many wonderful people uh, that it really has given me uh, such pleasure to 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 have seen the world through the eyes of what I might call myself a Madokian uh, for the last possibly you know 20 years hmm. and then we find out then suddenly we find out that there were these 13 notebooks full of puppetry under the bed or where I don't know you found them didn't you, Was it uh, you? no they, they were gifted they were gifted right the archive yeah and I've so since then I've very very kindly been uh, sent some transcripts and beyond my beyond my wildest hopes that there are so many wonderful poems uh, in there that um, you know I'm, I'm sure um, anybody any of your students uh, any students, any scholars who who are interested in in, in working uh, not on the novels or the philosophy, but the poetry, there's so much more to be said. Oh sure, yeah, yeah. So much, I mean, um, I mean, rich, I... so much rich material there for for discussion. It will take us through, you know, mm. take us a long time to, to to work that into our thoughts about about Murdoch's entire in, in, entire mm. literary scope and scandalling. The, the the problem, uh, I mean, if if I might. You know, point out one thing though. Uh, the problem is she she was too good. She's too, she's too <laughs> she's too good a writer because there are so many different styles uh, within the the poems that she she wrote, and she you know like 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 all probably all poets she began basically you know writing poems in the style of certain people. Um, I do think there was a, the, the, during the 1970s, was a, she was a very prolific time for her, if we look at the notebooks and uh, the stuff that she wrote. And there was a time when she really hit her game, you know, and there are so many, there's, I mean, there's some wonderful poems. There's any, anybody who's listening to this, who's never, uh, read any of her poems. Oh, there's a poem called The Brown Horse, which was written for Emma Stone. And that is just a great poem. And I don't, I'll stand up and, <laughs> I'll stand up and have fisticuffs with anybody who says it isn't, because, it, you know, it's just a marvellous poem. And in that, it's a one-page poem, you know, two pages maybe. In that poem, you get encapsulated many of her ideas about uh, unselfing and attention yeah. and this this idea you know the idea that that you know love can be a kind of realism uh by this one of the things that that characterizes zen as a form of buddhism is that it has it, it's influenced by chinese taoism which puts a focus on authentic experience people people think zen's all kind of like you know airy fairy stuff but it's a real, it's it's a kind of realism. Uh, it doesn't, it you know, it it eschews miracles and wonders for real life, and you get that in in that poem, the brown horse. You get all that. Well, I'll make sure that it's available for people to read um, online as well. Yeah. So there'll be a link in um, 
Let's do that. We will. Um, Paul, it's been a fascinating, um, fascinating evening um, talking about Iris with you. Thank you so much for coming on. Obviously, mm. really looking forward to your um, to your keynote in June uh, in twenty two, mm. um, oh. and, and to reading your uh, your new work coming out with Palgrave next year. Uh, thanks again, Paul, and uh, thanks to everybody for listening.